0: Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son, and our sins are forgiven. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding, God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us from the beginning. And all things happen just as he decided long ago. God's purpose was that we, who were the first to trust in Christ, should praise our glorious God. And now you have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves us. And when you believed in Christ, he had identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So, uh, good morning, um, everyone. And I do have to say... whoops, what's happening here? Do I stand back? That's the better, isn't it? Um, I do have to say that it is wonderful... Uh, to be able to say good morning to you. Okay, I'll stand forward. Okay, how's that? Is that better? Good. Yes, it is wonderful um, to say good morning to you all because because just like me, you turned up this morning. Um, You got yourselves out of bed. You had a bit of breakfast, uh, hopefully. You took a shower or a bath or at least um, had some kind of wash, I hope. Looking at you, Mark. (laughs) Um, you got yourselves dressed. Uh, you got yourself dressed. You left your house or your flat. Uh, you remembered how to get here to St Michael's, uh, and now here you are, um, sat down, and we're together again. And it's a good job actually, because the topic of this morning is that of meeting together. And as I was pondering um, what to say this morning, I was reminded. Um, of a story that I heard once. It was a conversation that took place between a mother and her son. And it was early uh, on a Sunday morning and the mother came into her son's room and the son said, I know what you're going to say. He was under the duvet. He said, I know what you're going to say and I'm not going. I do not want to go to church. You have to go to church, his mother exclaimed. But I don't want to. It's boring, her son protested. Get up right now, his mother said. No, I don't want to, the son cried. And why does it matter? Why do I need to go to church anyway? You have to go to church, his mother said, because you're the bishop. (laughs) Now, um, I hope that's not based on a true story. But this uh, this little exchange, um, you know, it does contain... Um, an important question. Uh, in fact, two questions that we might not ponder uh, very often. And it is these two questions. Firstly, why do we meet together? You know, why do we gather together in this place, week in, week out, religiously, you might say? And secondly, as the sun protested, why does it matter? So there is a simple answer, I think to the first question and it is this we meet together because this is what the church must do if it is to continue being the church so we meet together because this is what the church must do if it is to continue being the church Okay. so let's remind ourselves for a minute uh, what is the church is it the building is that what the church is um, is it the stuff inside the building? Is it is our new floor, uh, for example? Uh, is it some of the things that we do um, every Sunday? Is it the songs we sing? Is it the prayers that we say? Well, actually, the church is none of those things. The church in its purest meaning is simply us. That's you and that's me. We are the church. The word church actually means assembly or called out ones. And we are those who have been called out by God from the darkness to the light. We are those who have, been, who have stepped over from death to life. We are those who follow Jesus Christ and proclaim him as Lord and King. And so if the church is an assembly, a community of people, Then meeting together is something that we must do. If we are to remain as a community. And everything else. Where we meet. What we do when we meet. Simply helps express who we are. It helps us to worship God. And it equips us in being who we are called to be. And so to our second question. Why does it matter that we gather like this? Well... Lest we forget, you know, the church is not just the church for the sake of being the church. You know, we, we are a church uh, with a mission. And our mission is those to be those who have committed to partner with Jesus in establishing his kingdom on earth as in heaven. That is why we pray, in you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are to be those who share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. In our words, in our actions, <clears throat> in loving a world that desperately needs to know that it is loved. We need to be those who tell a story of hope um, to a world that sometimes feels very hopeless. And with that, we are to call people out as we have been called out. To become a part of Christ's church too. Now as Jodie has said to us a number of times, you know we are God's plan A. There is no plan B. And that can be a bit unsettling, can't it? You know, we are God's plan A. You know, he's invested um, his plans in us, really, to, to see them out. And that's not a little daunting. <laughs> you know, that's, that can be very daunting. And are we up to such a calling? You know, are we up to being God's plan A? Well, that is why gathering as a community, as we do here now, is vital. You know, it's vital to gather, not only to be reminded of the good news ourselves, because let's face it, Monday morning comes around and the stresses of the week invade in and we can forget um, the gospel. Not only that, but it's vital to meet with each other and to meet with God to rejoice, to repent, you know, to pray for each other and for our communities and our world, to be refilled, to be replenished, and all of this, so we can then be resent out into the world. So we must gather together regularly because our mission is hard. We need each other. We are not meant to live out this mission alone, but it is a mission we can live out as a community. And of course, speaking of community, we've read a lot about the power of the community spirit amidst the terrible events across our nation the past few months. The bombing in Manchester, the attacks in London, the tragedy at Grenfell Tower. And in all of these places, there's something in common, which is stories of communities coming together, of light shining in the darkness, of hope in despair. And there are stories as well of church communities um, sharing the love of our tirelessly loving God. Yet for all of us, with the world as it it is, with so much suffering in our news, so much pain, it could be hard to have faith to to continue sometimes, can't it? It could be tempting to remain under the warmth and security of the duvet instead of rising to do what God has called us to do. And that is why I'm very fond of our reading uh, this morning, because it is a reading that is brimming um, with encouragement for us. It is full of, of God's promises to us, His church. Uh, these are promises that we need to be reminded of, promises that we can stand on. Now, it's worth remembering that the Apostle Paul, um, who wrote this letter to the, the Ephesians, uh, he was no stranger to the trials and tribulations of church communities. Now, he planted many of them in those regions and some in very trying circumstances. So, Paul knew of the vital importance of those communities continuing to meet together so they could fulfill their mission. And with that, he also knew about the struggles um, of doing so. And if you don't believe me, uh, skim through some of his letters to see what I mean. You know, there was infighting. Immorality, division, you know, it wasn't easy for Paul. And yet, throughout all those hardships, all those trials, and in the persecution that the Christian communities faced, Paul always remembered how infinitely precious the church is in the eyes of God. And importantly, uh, Paul understood the promises that God had made to his church so in these 11 verses that we heard, Paul manages to cram in so many promises of God. <clears throat> Pardon me. And he gets excited in doing so. so Grab some water. i choking here. <clears throat> it's all the dust. <clears throat> That's better. Yes, those 11 verses. Paul crams in so many uh, promises of God. And so what are those promises? And we have a slide uh, that should come up.
0: <clears throat>
1: Great. Thank you. So as you can see, there are, um, <clears throat> I've identified eight promises on the screen behind me. Um, and I think we'll just go through them briefly one by one uh, just to sort of let them sink into our spirit, really. Okay, so the first one um, is that we're united with Jesus and the scripture says that every blessing in heaven um, is, is ours because we are united with Jesus. Can you imagine that? So every blessing in heaven, every good thing is ours to, to claim and enjoy through Jesus Christ. So number two um, tells us to be encouraged because God loves us and he has chosen us. You can see that there, I'm chosen by God. He has chosen each one of us. And he has made us blameless through the shared blood of Jesus Christ. So we are free from condemnation both now and forever. That is a huge thing. You know, our past has been forgiven. Our future has been forgiven. Our present has as well. You know, we are free from condemnation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, number three. I am God's child. So we are adopted into God's family. The scripture says that means we have full rights as children of god the father it means we are co-heirs to the kingdom um, of his son jesus and the scripture also says that this gives god great pleasure he's pleased to give us the kingdom sometimes i think i'm the worst christian on earth and i think okay i'll read this and i think i don't deserve all this but actually that's the point we don't deserve it but god is pleased to give us these good things by his grace Number four, uh, I am forgiven. So we are free. We are forgiven. And sometimes, you know, we may not feel free. We may not feel forgiven. You know, we have that little voice um, that says, you know, if you're a bad person. God can't forgive you. God hasn't forgiven you. But we're told that we are free and we are forgiven. And uh, that doesn't stop it being true. You know, when we don't feel that, it doesn't stop the fact that we are free and forgiven, being true. And also we must remember the price that it, that it cost God um, to, to purchase our freedom through his son Jesus. It's a costly love that God has for us. And perhaps then we should pause once in a while and just ask ourselves, do we love God with the same kind of costly love? Do we love God with a love that costs us Okay, number five. God showers us with kindness. So we are the focus of God's loving kindness. You know, he shared with us his wisdom, his understanding. And sometimes we could have another question there, which is, do we actually take the time to seek that wisdom and understanding? Do we take time with our Bibles to to go deeper and to really understand the mysteries of God? Because it's there for us, and God will help us understand Okay, number six, uh, God is in control. And this is a reminder for us that God promises that everything, good and the bad, um, will be used for, um, for our good. It will be turned around and used for our own good. And that's probably one of the most challenging um, promises there really. You know, how can God turn all things around? But he does, he promises that. And we may not see it now, we may not see it tomorrow but we can be assured that God does, and He will. Number seven, God's promises are for everyone. This is not just for us to hold on to as the church, but it's for the, these promises are for those um, of all races, colours, creeds, sexualities, everyone, from every nation uh, on earth. No, these are promises for everyone who chooses God, just as God. Has chosen them without exception, and finally, uh, number eight, God lives in me, so God dwells in us by his holy spirit. We have the presence of God within us, we can be sure our prayers are heard, we can be sure of the promises of of this age and of the age to come. so there is a lot there to take in. Um, what I've done on the tables and chairs, so I've got some printed copies of these, which are deliberately in black and white. Um, and uh, I encourage you to take them home and do a bit of creative colouring. You know, colour in the, the words and as you do, just reflect, perhaps with the Bible open in front of you, just reflecting those, those promises of God. Okay, so to finish, armed with those promises, what must we do? Well, it's simple. We must continue to live out our mission. We must continue to share with the world God's goodness and love and his call to reconciliation. Because really, these promises are for everybody. You know, as I said earlier, they're not for us to grasp hold of um, and hide away. They are promises to celebrate and to share with others. Because those promises can then become Their promises too in Christ. And finally, may we continue to meet together. May we continue to learn from each other and encourage each other. And returning to our sleepy bishop just one last time, I ask you, with good news like this, can we remain under the duvet? Can we afford not to meet together? Can we afford not to encourage each other? Can we afford to to try and go it alone, perhaps? So with this final thought, I want to end with a very brief story. And it goes like this. So there was a member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly. And he'd stopped going. And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. And it was a chilly evening. And the pastor found the man at home sitting before a blazing fire so guessing the reason for his pastor's visit the man welcomed him led him to a big chair near the fireplace and waited the pastor made himself comfortable but said nothing in the grave silence the man contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs After some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs. He carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and he placed it to one side of the hearth so it was all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. As the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow And then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the pastor reached the door to leave, the man said, thank you so much for your visit and especially for the fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday. Amen.